Taylor. Sun came out, so it's cool. We have one more week where we're doing worship outside, so if you're, you know, a person that just likes to be inside the building, don't worry, it's coming. We'll be back inside in a couple of weeks, so, but it's just kind of a nice change, I think. It's just refreshing to be able to worship outside and to enjoy it before it gets too hot for us to do something like this, so really, certainly glad you came out to worship this morning, so let's pray together. Father, again, we just say thank you, Father, for bringing us here and just thank you for being here with us, God. We love you. We we just look forward, God, to hearing from you this morning again as we open up your word and as we hear from you. Um, we pray that you'd speak to our lives, Lord, and we pray that we wouldn't get distracted by um, baseballs getting hit in the distance or other things that might be going on, things in our mind, things going on this week. We pray, God, that you just give us this time to be able to focus. And, Lord, we just ask you to clear out any distractions, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cody shared a little bit about his story and how he came to Christ and what life was like before he came to Christ. And it's really, a, I always enjoy hearing about where people have come from. And uh, now that I've known Cody, our worship leader, for almost four years, I think, it's just been tremendous to, to see what was going on in his life really, you know, really not too far before we met. And so just seeing the um, transformation in what God has done there. But that question he asked at the very end of his testimony was this. It's, are you investing your best energy in things that leave you empty? That's a good question to ask. Are you investing your best energy? Are you consumed by things that leave you empty? It's very easy to do that. And just as he shared, that's what he was doing in most of his younger um, younger years. And so just he took a turn and, you know, God's doing some real work in his life now. But we're, we're that question really sets us up for what we're going to look at today. Today we're in the second part of a message series called Will It Grow? And if you look on your bulletin cover, just to be reminded, the image on the front of the bulletin cover is a picture that illustrates a parable, a short story that Jesus shared on a hillside, and so we're going to look at this story again. But the question that we're asking for this series is, will it grow? Like, if I share my faith with other people, will it grow? How do I know that they're going to respond and not reject it? How do I know that it's not going to be a waste of their time, my time? When I plant seeds of faith, how do I know it's going to sprout? Why do certain people respond to the message of Jesus and other people not? What's, what is going on with that? What are that, the reasons for that? Jesus, he answers those different questions types of questions that come up in our mind. And he does that in a story, a parable, where he gives four different types of people. And we're all here and we all fit into one of these four types of of responses when we hear the message. And so we're going to focus on these different things. And last week we focused on the first part of the parable. So just a quick review. Um, Jesus said that a sower goes out to plant his seeds. So I'm going to read the passage in full in a moment. But Just really quickly, a sower goes out to plant his seeds. He plants some, and some land on the path. They don't quite make it into good soil. They just kind of land on the path beside the soil. And so the scripture says that the birds come down, and they snatch away that seed before it has time to grow. And we looked last week at how some people, when they hear the message, and this might even be here, you might hear the message, and it just like, it deflects right off. Our minds, like we, it does not take root. It doesn't penetrate our heart. It just 
It's as if we forget about it as soon as we leave. And so we looked at that, and there's a verse in Luke 10.16 that kind of sums up the heart of this issue. Jesus, he was sending out 72 of his disciples ahead of him to towns to share and to kind of prepare them for his message. And so when he sends out the 72, he gives them some instructions. At the very end of his instructions, he says this. He says, because they're asking the question too, what if we're rejected? What if people don't take our message seriously? He says, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And that really lines up with what we looked at last week with the parable, the part of the parable where the seed was sown on the on the path and it just doesn't penetrate. It says the enemy, the symbol of the bird snatching the seed is is the enemy, Satan, who who snatches away the word before it can before it can do anything in our lives. And sometimes we take that rejection very, very seriously and personally, and we think, wow, I should have shared it better, I should have shared it faster, I should have I should have been more eloquent or if I'd have said it this way, maybe they would have responded. But what Jesus is saying is that when people reject the message, when we've presented it clearly, it's not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of Him. It's a rejection of the Father. And so, that actually helps us. Because as we look at this parable, and as I was talking with someone last week about the parable, they said it kind of encouraged them because you have these four different types of responses when God drops the message of faith on people. The four responses, it encourages us because if you're battling with a lot of discouragement and a rejection, it might be that you just haven't shared with enough people. Maybe you've stopped, you've shared with one or two people, and you may have encountered two of the different responses we're going to look at, and you're like, ah, there's no such thing as good soil, good response. Well, you've got to get there. You, you've got to keep planting. You've got to keep sowing the seed to see when God will cause that person's heart to respond and prepare them to grow. So we're going to look at this passage together and. You can uh, follow along the listening guide. Some of what we're going to go over is actually for you, written out for you. But some of it I'm going to kind of hop around a little bit as well. But I'm going to read the whole parable again just so you're familiar with how this whole thing goes. So Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 1, it says this, that that same day Jesus went out of the house. He sat down by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Now, this is a mixed group that followed Jesus, okay? So there was people who were his followers, and there were some that weren't. Just a large crowd, so he speaks to them in, from this boat, and he told them many things in parables, verse 3 says, saying this, A farmer went out to sow his seed. You all should have gotten a little seed baggie again, or you probably saw the baskets out there, but as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked out the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Later on in verse 18, he explains what the meaning of these parables, what the meaning of this parable is. And he says this, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. The first type of person. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And you see the bird on your outline. That's a good illustration of what happens. Is This just gets plucked up before it can take root. Verse 20 says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, 
he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So that's the second type of person. And then it says in verse 22, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And then the last one, the, the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So you've got these different types of responses. And the ones that we're going to look at this morning are the two in the middle. The, the seed that was sown in the rocky places and the seed that was sown among thorny ground. Okay, And so we're going to pick these things apart. First, you've got the rocky places. It says that the seed sprang up quickly, you see this in your outline, because the soil was shallow. So there was actually a response, like there was some sort of response. A thin surface of earth covered what was really rocky beneath. And then this plant sprouts up, but the sun comes and it scorches the plant because the roots of that plant couldn't reach beyond the rocks. To get to real moisture. It couldn't grow up because it was just, it was shallow, right? Later on in verse 20, it explains what happens. This is the man who hears the word, receives it with joy. So there's little to no resistance, okay? Sometimes when people hear a message about salvation, about God, maybe you share your story, your testimony, they respond really quickly. This is great. Man, I really believe this. And they, they seem like they're really getting it. They have this emotional excitement. That's this type of response. This type of person has an emotional excitement. But it says since this person is not rooted, from the surface it looks healthy. But just below the surface it says he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, it quickly, you know, the plant withers. He falls away. So here's the point. And you've got a listening guide. And if you want, you can follow along. The first point there is shallow-rooted faith won't last. That's what we get from this part of it. Shallow-rooted faith will not last. This describes almost a superficial conversion experience, a response that was emotional. Someone accepts the message of Jesus, the message of salvation. He can't say enough good about God. This person can't say enough good about the preacher, about the church. They're just super excited. But their roots do not go down deep, is what this is saying. It's possible that this person maybe even responded by coming you know coming down an aisle at some event maybe they raised their hand at some event or they signed a card but it's possible that this person responded without ever counting the true cost of following Christ maybe they didn't come to grips with what it really meant to be a christian maybe what was presented was kind of a half version of what the bible calls a christian and so it was easy to respond to they sprout up but over time Persecution causes them to wither. The problem with this, and this is a scary thing, is that they may have become so insulated with the way they do Christianity or church religious life that they've insulated themselves from re even recognizing what true salvation would look like. And that's a scary place to be when we've accepted a false version of faith because we think we're okay. So it's an interesting, this is an interesting thing to wrestle with for ourselves personally. The second point there in your outline is testing reveals a false conversion. Testing is what is what is used to reveal what's really going on. Is this real fruit? Is this real growth? Real salvation? Or is this just false faith? And it's, the scripture says that trouble or persecution 
because of the word. It's not just that, oh, I have a bad day and I fall away. I didn't get what I wanted. It's that, that's not what it is. Trouble or persecution because the word has to do with when the cost of falling Christ is too great. The cost of becoming a disciple or walking on with Jesus is too great. If he asks us to do things that are too difficult, too challenging, if we're not willing to go the distance, then it says, you know, this kind of faith just withers up. It's not real. It's not rooted in anything. The sun burns it up. It's like our feelings can be changed, but not our soul. So there's this false appearance of life, of real life. We don't really know how long until testing occurs because it doesn't say that this person falls away right away or withers up right away. What it says is immediately after testing, this person withers up. And so as soon as the pressure comes, and you might have responded to faith, you might, you know, you might have made a decision to follow Christ, but you've never really been tested because of the word. Meaning, you've never, you know, your faith has never really been challenged, possibly. And so, that that kind of test reveals true faith. Look at the where this goes. It says, the seed sown among the thorns, verses uh, 22, it says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns, a different kind of person, is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. This is a, All sorts of things are growing up in this person's life and taking their attention. So along with the possibility for faith, there's all of this stuff from the world that is capturing this person's focus and attention and it eventually will choke out the spiritual life. And if, if you've done any gardening, if you have weeds in the garden and you don't pull them, they grow much faster than the plant you're trying to grow, right? And you're like, man, I thought, and I'm trying to grow this thing and the, the weeds are just, how is it that weeds can just do that so quickly? I got an amen over here practically because I know. That's how it is, though. The weeds take all of the nourishment of the soil. They take all the moisture as their root system spreads, and eventually it chokes out the life. So here's the point we learn from that part is a divided spiritual life, that's the fill in the blank, a divided spiritual life eventually gets swallowed up. You can't be divided. We get swallowed up. That's kind of what Cody was talking about. And he, he missed some opportunities, he was saying, in his earlier years to really grow, to get invested in, to grow up, to invest in others, because other things were choking out the growth, the potential for real life. Here's some of the things that get swallowed up. You see them in your outline. First off, worry or preoccupation with the cares of this world. We're so often worried and consumed about all that we've got to get to. Everything that's going on in our minds just consumes us. Anxiety. You might be here... Listening to this message and, and you're battling with thoughts about, you know, just worries. And it's so hard to focus because you've got all this stuff on your mind. That's, that's what this pa- passage is talking about. That has the possibility to choke out your spiritual life. Another thing is we can get swallowed up by the riches that promise to satisfy or bring happiness. The deceitfulness of wealth, the scripture says. This person is divided over which kingdom to build. Am I trying to invest in my kingdom and building my riches, or am I trying to invest in God's kingdom and eternal riches? Things that really will last forever. And, you know, we struggle with this. How much money is enough money in your bank account? Just a little bit more, right? 
is what's in there right now enough? It doesn't feel like it, does it? I mean, we just, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, we think, oh, if I could just have a little more, it's going to bring my life together. If I could just have a better job, if I could just, you know, hit the lottery, I could just, if I could win it at the tables, you know, and hit the big one, then, then I could really, I'd have no worries, and then I'd be able to focus on my spiritual life. Well, that itself will capture you and choke out the possibility for growth. Believing that riches will solve our life's problems is a lie. The other third, the third thing here is a desire for possessions, prestige, and position. Not thinking we're really never satisfied at, at the place we've achieved in life. We want more, more recognition, more status, more position. We want someone to know who we were, who we are. We want to leave a legacy. And so that can even capture us. The desire for all of that. Proverbs 27.20, interesting verse, it says, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. It's like we're always looking for more. There's always something in the horizon that we haven't got. So rather than devoting themselves to God, this person, what Jesus is describing, their devotion is drawn off. It's absorbed by all sorts of other things. Their time is drawn off. Their resources are, are given away to things that leave them empty. Leaving God and spiritual growth pretty much are leftovers. Because of all that, what Jesus is saying, what intended, what was intended to be a life-giving relationship ends up being a ragged, hurried, emotionless, religious activity that we just go through this motion with very little left because we've been consumed by what we've devoted ourselves to in the world. So here are some responses. Those are pretty, I think, these two types of uh, responses are really, really helpful. Not just for people who've never decided to follow Christ, but for us. Just to ask some hard questions about where are we at. Is, am I, am I going to grow right now? I may have responded and started growing, but is there things preventing me from continuing to grow? Here's some responses to the parable. The first one, you see it in your outline. Receive Christ with no reservations or competing loyalty. If you've never committed your life to Christ, then to consider counting the cost of what it would look like to truly follow him, to be his disciple. He would want to be first place in your life. Ask yourself, what, what, what would I change? Or what would I not let him change? Is there anything that's in your life that's off limits? And you say, you know what, that's, I reserve the right to control that area of my life, don't mess with it. You can have it all, but this. If that's the case, then that's not truly counting the cost of being his disciple. If, if, if I knew truly that he wanted to be first place, would I still follow? So these are questions to ask. Jesus said this, though. Look at this passage about loyalty and focus. It says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. This is what we do. We focus our time on securing and storing up stuff. It says where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying invest your time, your resources, your energy, your best energy into God's kingdom. Where moth and rust do not destroy. destroy, And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, our heart gets wrapped around whatever we're devoted to. Whatever we decide to devote our lives to, 
Our heart just embraces those things and holds it tightly. And it goes on and says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, this has to do with what we're focused on, okay? If our eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. The idea here is our devotion directs us. Our devotion directs us. If we're divided in our devotion, we see the results in our life. Look at where it goes. It says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you're trying to share the message of faith, you're trying to share with someone in your life who doesn't know Christ, and you're planting seeds in their life about God and what it means to follow Him, and you're not helping them understand the cost of discipleship, the cost of truly following Him, then it might be that you're sharing a false version of the gospel message. We want to make sure that we're sharing what it really means to follow Him. And it is right to help a person weigh that out. It's right to help a person consider what Christ might ask them to change because when when people come to Christ, part of that is what's called repentance, a turning away from myself and turning towards God, allowing Him to lead my life in a new direction, saying no to some things and walking away from some things. But He wants to set a whole new direction for our life. And to ask Him to save you without yielding your life to Him as boss is to not quite get it. It's to almost get it, but it's, it's to not get when he says <clears throat> to confess him as Lord, that's that's a that is a turn. That's a it's not just a verbal confession, it's a statement of our intention to live our life for him. And there's action. The scripture puts a balance on our faith and our works. It says faith without real works is dead. It's there there needs to be evidence of true, genuine faith. And to those here that you might feel like, you know, I've responded, but maybe what I responded to, and I talked to someone last service who said, you know what? Sometimes when I hear messages like this, I, I recognize more and more that I think I, I think I had in my mind a cheap version of the gospel message. And it was later in my life that I really understood what it meant to follow Christ. And it was then that I saw his power begin to work in me. And I, I think that's true. And, you know, if that's you and you're like, you know what, maybe I need, maybe I haven't really responded yet. Maybe today, that's, that's the point you need to, to make is, is respond. Respond to what Christ has called you to. The second response to this parable is this, is to choose to be financially content. Because that is the thorns that have the possibility to choke out life. Now this is a struggle for us all. We talked in the first service about, giving, gave a bunch of different examples about this, but, Money has the power to consume us like nothing else. Because we use it all the time. We need it to live. It has the power to just capture our attention and our heart, which is scary. And if we're always focused on what we don't have, then the possibility for what could grow in our life just gets choked up, consumed, swallowed out. So look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says this, advice from a mentor to his young mentoree. He says this, but godliness... With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
Then he says, people who want to get rich. Pause there for a second. Do you want to get rich? I mean, you don't need to shout it out. Yes, I do. But if you do, then you're likely, follow the verse, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, which is, whenever money becomes an idol or a god, it says, it is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil, but when it becomes an idol, it's evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. This is talking about within the church. They were eager for money, but they wandered from the faith, and they pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people start out walking with God. They intend to really follow Him, but then, and then they plug into a church. And they start growing and investing in their spiritual life. But then over time, this, the desire for more captures them and draws the life, draws their heart and their life in a different direction. Even within a church. It can happen to where I can show up and here's all these people that can benefit from me and from what I can offer them or sell to them. And so the investment can be divided over me growing for myself or me growing and getting a little a little for myself and and profiting off of off of others scripture gives a strong warning about mixing these kinds of things when it comes to church now if you if you are a person who sells something and people have bought stuff from you i'm not bashing you right now or this isn't against you necessarily but it's a it's a strong warning to be very careful with the way that you mix when it comes to business and and your spiritual life, especially within the church. This isn't a list of potential clients. These are we are people who want to grow together. You know, God may use you to help other people through your business to be a blessing to people, and may He do that. But there's there's a warning in this area of finances in the church. I've seen people get hurt. I've seen people get sidetracked. I've seen people walk away because of the love of the because the love of money took over and divided their focus and their attention. I I really respect it when people are very careful with that area, being very careful to to watch how they interact within a congregation. There have been since we started this church four years. I've had to turn away a few people when it came to this kind of thing. I've had people come to me and ask if they could put together a meeting to gather people to, you know, talk about some things. And I, I know where that's going. And I'm like, this is not a place to market your business. And so we have to be very careful. But the root of all that is not being content. It leads us to traps, to temptations that plunge men into destruction. But the scripture is saying it's deceitful. The parable says the deceitfulness of wealth. We don't even realize sometimes when money takes control of us, causing us to do things that trap ourselves or trap other people. We just have to be very, very, very careful. For most of us, though, contentment is a real struggle. The TV doesn't help. The media does not help because it just pumps images of what we don't have before us. And we think, look at my pathetic life. Look at my pathetic car. Look at my pathetic phone and look at his phone. And I was telling last service, I have like 10 days until I can trade in my cell phone and upgrade. I'm, I'm 
pumped about being able to upgrade my phone to something new. And I thought I found the phone I wanted. It was only going to cost $19. And it does so much more than my phone. So I was talking to the lady, trying to see if I could speed up the 10-day process, and she said no. And 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 then I and then she said, you know that the 3D Evo is coming out by the time you can upgrade. Really? Tell me about that. You know the 3D Evo. I don't know how you could use a 3D phone. You wear the glasses and you're talking. Take a look at me. I don't know how that would work, but anyway, I. The cost is significantly greater than the $19 phone that's amazing compared to my phone. But now my phone, my $19 phone is going to seem pretty pathetic because it's not 3D. It doesn't do all the things that, and that's how this whole pool works on our lives. We see something, we buy the car, the next week Chevy releases the new model and now we're driving the old model and everyone knows it, don't they? And we think, we think about these things. Other people get a bigger this, bigger that, and we we get drawn off. Look at what Paul says. Actually, you don't have this in your outline, but it says, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul, he got something that most of us never get in life. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. See, He understood that power and strength to live within His means or below His means came not from looking within Himself or just pretending like He didn't notice other people's stuff or what they had. He just, Lord, would You help me to be satisfied with what You've provided for me right now and be thankful for what I've got and be not looking out in the distance Would you help me to just focus on living this life with the power you provided? And he was able to be content and to not be captured by things. Here's one final thought, though, about responding to this parable. It's a challenge to do this, but the last one is let go of worldly living and thinking. Just let it go. Let go of the trap that the world captures you with. Look at what John says. Do not love the world or anything in the world like the ways of the world, the things of the world, the pleasures of this world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. To me, when I read that, that's like a test. If you read it again, if anyone loves the world, like that's your devotion, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you love the world more than you love God? The reason you don't want to do that is because of what the verse says. For everything in this world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boastful pride of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Like it's all breaking down. Eventually it's going to break down and be no more. But the man who does the will of God will live forever. You and I, we can start depositing eternal investments in things that will last for eternity. We can do that right now. We can invest right now in people. You can pour your life into serving and loving people who will live Eternally. People are eternal. Anytime you serve and love and share and you're generous with people, that's an investment in eternity. We can invest right now in our spiritual growth. Just being here. Just coming to church and dragging yourself out of bed on Father's Day, Dad. That's a tough thing. Normally, Mother's Day is a packed crowd. Father's Day, eh, not so t- not so packed. Because fathers, you know, we want to sleep in. We want to take a little R&R on this day, right? But investing in your spiritual growth, that's an eternal investment. That will last. 
Right now, we can invest in this church. When you participate in our church, you're investing in something that's eternal. The scripture, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's eternal. We can invest right now. And what a joy it is and would be to to see people grow up investing themselves in things that have eternal value. To not just be a church where we all just compete to get the newest, coolest things and invest our time in in standing out. If, if we'll set that aside and just invest ourselves in things that matter, God can really use us. Paul gives us this out of Philippians 4.6. He says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's what we're to do with all of our anxiety. Present it to God in prayer. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Wouldn't it be encouraging, though, if we were a church where people actually were like growing up, where we're pulling weeds out of our life, things that choke out the growth, and we just start growing. And God can use us to reach more people who can start growing and pulling weeds out of their life, making sure that they're getting deeply rooted, growing up, producing good soil. We're going to look next week about what does Jesus say about what it what it means to really grow? What does the good soil look like? I'm really excited about that message next week. But in a few minutes, our ushers are going to come up here and receive our offering. And they're going to pass baskets down an aisle. And if also, if you would drop this white card in there when they come through. And Cody, you can go ahead and come up here. But here's a few next steps on the back of this card. You might consider responding to this message by taking one of these next steps and letting us and checking the box. That means we'll pray for you. Here's the first one. Memorize Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot split these things. God wants to be first place. This verse is a good reminder that you can't divide your devotion. You can't do it. The second step, next step would be take a one-week media fast and replace the time with prayer and time spent reading the Bible. This is like when you fast for food for a day or two if you got to take a test. Fast from all media. Maybe that's a step you feel like, you know what, I need to take that because I'm being captured constantly by what I don't have and what I want. It just stirs my desires and my devotion, divides me up. So maybe I just need to take a break. So maybe from today to next Sunday, just say, you know what, I'm not going to watch TV, I'm not going listen to listen to the radio, movies, Pandora, Facebook, internet surfing. I'm just going to take a break. Apart from what I have to do for my job, I'm going to take a break. And I'm not just going to walk around and enjoy the birds, but I'm actually going to replace that time with just time to invest in my spiritual growth. I'm going to spend some extra time in the Bible, some extra time in prayer, letting God speak to me about areas that He wants me to grow in. I'd really encourage you to consider taking that step. The last one is identify any competing loyalty that is preventing me from growing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you recognize, you know what, I know what's keeping me from growing. It's I'm dating this person whose heart is causing me to be divided. Or I'm I'm closest to these people who take me in, a, in the wrong direction. Or I'm wrapping my devotion, my loyalty around money and trying to get more of it and it's just 
I can't, I can't do that. So whatever it is, identify any competing loyalty that's preventing me from growing. Let's pray together.